Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Romans 6, verses 6 and 8. The whole month of November is a memory of death, those who have physically died and gone before us. The celebration of all souls on November 2nd, while remembering those family members who died this year, the Church also remembers the sacrifice Christ made for us when he died for our sins. We're called upon to renounce our old lives so that we can live new lives with Christ in our hearts, Christ in the very centre of our lives. Christ's crucifixion allows us to look forward to eternal life because physical death was conquered by him. Yes, our bodies will still die, but instead of dying into nothing, God wanted us to be able to reside with him in eternity. But to come before the throne, we need to be sinless, and there's no doing that on our own, even with Christ in our hearts. So God came up with a gift, his son, who died for all our sins, past, present, and future. Now we're able to look forward to death as a beginning, not an end. It is this looking forward that we who are left behind can draw strength from. We believe that our loved ones, although taken from our earthly world, live on. By accepting Christ as the way to heaven, by accepting the free gift paid for at a high price, we are no longer slaves to sin, although we are still sinners. We can rest in the truth that we'll be raised again. And when we come before the throne, we'll be sinless, washed in the blood of the Lamb, and spend eternity praising God as he desired. Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny. My guest this week is Walter Lemons, one of the few people outside our immediate family who had an impact on our children's lives. I'll be remembering veterans, as it was Remembrance Sunday this week in England, with poppies on lapels. On a lighter note, I'll be talking about our zookeeper's last days with his okapi, give you an update on wedding plans, and talk about how we're shuffling cars. This morning, I have a hot cup of Earl Grey with almond milk, another slice of pumpkin roll. The recipe makes three. So stop what you're doing and listen for an hour as I give you news and views from an Anglo-American. Talking about slavery, and we were a little bit ago, I went to a presentation about human trafficking. Did you know 14 to 17,000 people are trafficked into America every year? Not smuggled, trafficked. Yep, it takes place right here in our back gardens, and a lot of us don't even know. During the talk, I noticed a lot of behavioural similarities between trafficking and abuse and selling humans. It all deals with freedoms, doesn't it? Freedoms and power. Trafficking involves victims brought into the United States from abroad. Did you know that Texas is a major hub for human trafficking, ranking second only to California? Did you also know that the United States is ranked as the third largest destination country for trafficking? The official definition is 
the act of recruiting, transporting, transferring, harbouring or receiving a person through the use of force, coercion or other means for the purpose of exploiting them. Trafficking can occur in the originating country of those trafficked. Physical movement of a person is not necessary. And this is where the lines grew blurry for me, but that's a completely different issue I don't have answers for yet. The child labour laws in third world countries are being changed to protect these young children. Think about who picks the cotton you may be wearing on your back or the cocoa beans to make the chocolate you enjoy as a treat. Whose tiny fingers weave the threads in the carpet you tread? In America, children under the age of 18 aren't allowed to work except by special permission because it interferes with their right to an education. Some scholars say if we ban child labour, then other forms of exploitation in the third third world will take place because many in these countries are desperate for money. We can pray. We can ask our president to help by increasing his budget request for anti-trafficking programmes. We can heighten our own awareness by reading books or watching documentaries to open up the world in other ways. And we can cover sociology, geography and history while we're at it. And while we're talking about opening the world, I briefly mentioned in my introduction that homeschoolers don't encourage outsiders in their children's lives. They tend to be very jealous of their time with their offspring. One would think, and so would everyone else on the outside of the one-room schoolhouse, that having one's children around all day, all night and every holiday would have the mother crying out for relief of any kind, especially since television has been forsworn, but oh no. Having joined the homeschool movement myself, lock, stock and barrel, I quickly realised that I didn't want anyone else's input into my children's education, and it was given freely, I might add. My mentor, the well-heeled stranger, displayed a rather curious side to this philosophy while we were taking our babies out for an airing in the local park one day, early on in our acquaintance. The boys were off playing together and my youngest was in a stroller with her sister, walking very nicely beside me, holding my mentor's daughter's hand, a lovely 15-year-old. My stranger friend was a few paces behind me with her eldest son, and I was passing the time of day with her daughter, something innocuous like... Well, what did you do this morning, Sally? And as Sally politely responded with my daughters hanging on her every word, my new friend drew abreast and said, What are you talking about? And I tried to explain the small talk, but found I couldn't without it sounding intrusive. Yes, I thought the question harmless, but on repeating it to her mother, I was astounded at how probing it seemed and at how guilty my voice was sounding. She sent her daughter and mine off and explained to me, I don't want my children talking alone to anybody. I want to make sure that everything they hear is valuable and fits in with my ideas. Point taken and red flag, well, it wasn't hoisted this time. I chose to ignore it because I was fast beginning to feel the same way and her rather harsh words somewhat validated the niggles I was getting in my head now that I was carrying the weight of my autonomous role of sole educator and rather relishing it. This was all well and good, and it worked for us until the children began to express an interest in doing things I either had no facility for or no interest in. I briefly considered hiring a tutor, but of course we homeschooled, which meant there was only one income sometimes, and a tutor for each of the additional subjects I was maybe going to have to add to our already bursting curriculum simply wasn't in the budget. 
After consulting the school principal and taking a week or month to recover from the shock that I could no longer be everything for my children at all times, I attacked this new problem with my usual fervour, but not without a little bit of self-bashing first. How could I not have noticed art was missing from my perfect schedule? It had been there at the beginning, and my oldest had hung a whole gallery of carefully drawn and labelled pictures over all the available wall space in our downstairs as an exhibition to mark the end of our first shining year as home scholars. I felt like a marauding government programme cutting fine arts from my perfect little school and realised how easily it could be done to make room for more important subjects. Add art, I wrote on my Wildflower Academy scheduler. What could be more important than my children's interests and driving forces? I considered the cry for football from my middle son and sighed. I thought I was all right on the gymnastics front, but my outdoor son was feeling claustrophobic in the chalk-filled air after several faithful years, and no matter how many high-beam routines he did in an afternoon, he wanted to be in the trees or out running on a field, not confined to the local gym. Football, I added below art. My oldest son wanted to perform, and I thought playing the clown in his one-room schoolhouse would suffice, but obviously not. I hadn't exactly ignored his talent. I recognised that not every child or adult naturally sings the harmony line on each song he hears, and no one else in our family had the gift to reenact verbatim scenes from favourite films, those he was allowed to watch on Friday evenings, or conversations overheard while at the store. He entertained us greatly, but he needed more. Theatre, I penned hesitantly on my growing list of extracurricular activities. We all joked about our youngest. She was an unabashed social butterfly and wanted to know many more people than just five. She also had a talent with scissors, having cut her hair several times. And while she was at it, cutting necklines out of T-shirts, sleeves out of blouses and feet out of hose. How had I missed her changing clothes twice before breakfast and never ceasing to wow us with the varied combinations she could contrive from a mere half dozen articles of clothing? Sewing, I added with a flourish to round out my list, knowing that this was not it at all. Reluctantly, I admitted that I needed to hunt for willing homeschool mothers with similar moral values who'd be willing to exchange their expertise in the subjects I was lacking for my very mundane but essential skills reading and writing. This is how I came to entrust my children to other teachers, and letting them outside the confines of their basement classroom and into the outside world wasn't all bad. You see, we'd formed quite a bond in our years together, and I was quite confident that when I asked them what they'd done while taking a class from another member of society, I would not get the typical answer, nothing. Plus, I was there too, sharing my strengths and making some friends of my own. We taught in each other's houses. I think my children had a much better time of it, learning art and singing, acting and playing football, some changing outfits accordingly. I was challenged to make my two subjects bounce with life, and I did. In the process, which lasted a year, I found I was really an artistic body myself. I gained a lot of confidence in my latent skills and was able to bring all their talents back home for a short while, but not for good. They'd had a taste of another world and I'd begun to trust others' views and ideas. We were eventually led to the community theatre where we'd spent a great deal of our time together. It's here that we met Walter Lemons, this week's guest, who became an honorary faculty member of Wildflower Academy, an approved mentor and beloved friend. Walter 
was the technical director of the Garland Performing Arts Centre, which became our home away from home school. We first met 15 years ago, and he soon became one of the most influential people outside the family in my children's lives. Walter taught them many of the skills they would need to know for life, ranging from patience as they helped him unload and store shipments of technical equipment, to responsibility when they were capable enough to run a sound or lighting board without his supervision for theatre clientele. He was an adult who watched over them while they spread their wings in the backstage of a large facility, allowing them to experiment, fail and explore. Walter became a friend not only to us but to my children and I'm thrilled to welcome him to my show today to talk about how community service benefited both him and his job as well as our children's education. I have to go on a short break first so get another cup of tea and come back in just a moment to listen to our chat. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, Walter, thank you for joining me this morning. Good morning, Vivian. Glad to be here. Good morning. Well, you spent a lot of time with my children up at the theater, and I've talked about it in my shows because it was a major part of our lives when they got a little bit older. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how you became interested in the performing arts? All right. Uh, Started in Tupelo, Mississippi in 1965, I guess Mm -hmm. it would be. Uh, I played the pivotal role of the rocket in uh, a Christmas play that our kindergarten did at the uh, local PBS station. Uh Throughout uh, growing up, elementary and elementary years, I guess I was a singer in the choir mm-hmm. uh, in church, mm-hmm. and then uh, played trumpet in the band in junior high and high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, I knew I was not a musician. All right. <laughs> uh, so I, while I enjoyed it, I was never I was never good enough to really be satisfied with what I could do there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luckily, I didn't discover theater until after I got out of high school mm-hmm. uh, because it, it was it has encompassed my life ever since then. Mm. I have uh, never not been involved in theater 
since uh, 1977, I guess mm-hmm. it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, got my degree in uh, speech and drama from Midwestern State University in Wichita Falls. Mm-hmm. And uh, I worked at the Backdoor Theater, the community theater there, for a couple of years. Uh, then moved to Garland in 1983 to be the uh, technical director mm-hmm. at the Granville Arts Center, then called the Garland Performing Arts Center. Mm-hmm. And uh, help me here with the chronology. When was it that I first met your kids? About what year? Well, if Simon was about nine, then he was born in 88. So what, 97? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, the... Uh, no, you know the chronology of that. Uh, yeah. Ian was uh, auditioning first, and the little kids were following you around. That's right. Uh, one of my earliest memories is uh, it was almost Christmas time. Mm-hmm. It was the new fiscal year for the uh, City of Garland's Art Center, and I had been given a budget for new lighting instruments. Mm-hmm. And I had uh, like 30 boxes that were uh, – 12 inches by 12 inches by by 30 inches long, and they were stacked up in the scene shop. Mm -hmm. And this cute, skinny little blonde kid was standing over by the door watching me unwrap these lighting instruments. Mm -hmm. And, of course, that was Simon. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, I turned around and asked him if he wanted to help. He came right in and started ripping into those boxes (laughs) because there's nothing like Christmas and nothing like wrap. Yeah, I know, unwrapping gifts. (laughs) <laughs> and so he just had a blast there. And, of course, uh, a little while later, Larry came in to check uh, you know, where his son was. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is really sort of the first memories that I have of your uh, your family. Right. Uh, well, let me interrupt you a little bit here because you said that um, you were a little bit in theater while you were at school, but you really didn't do theater until after you left high school. So when you went to university... Did you? Was that the first thing you did? Was to to um, you know sort of take get your degree in in performing arts, or did you do something else and then change your major? No, I kind of went in without a a, a point mm-hmm. to oh, okay. uh, plans. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, a lot of a lot of young kids do. I mean, what do you know when you're eighteen? <laughs> Absolutely. I had the idea that I'd do a business administration, uh-huh. uh, but then I found the the theater. Uh, the University Theater, they had a opening for a box office manager, right. and so I applied for it. Yeah. And uh, with my uh, education background, I was in the distributive education in high school, mm-hmm. and uh, I had experience being uh, working at my father's store as a cashier. Mm-hmm. So the the university hired me to run their box office. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had been involved in the summer musicals that year. I had gotten interested in theater and auditioned for that mm-hmm. uh, and uh, spent the next four years uh, getting my education in theater, yeah. a little bit of everything, yeah. acting, directing. Mm-hmm. I am not an actor, and I've been in two dozen plays to prove it. So, <laughs> we- Well, I know, I know when we met you, you were the technical director, and we didn't really ever see you on stage, but we learned as we, as we got to know you more over the years – that you had indeed before, you know, there was life before the McNenny family for Walter. Um, so we, we, we discovered that you had actually been in plays up there at the um, Garland um, Theatre Centre. So that was fun. Yes. 
one of my favorite stories was uh, Garland Civic Theater was doing How to Succeed in Business Without mm-hmm. Really Trying. Mm-hmm. And they needed one more actor in the show. In the second act, they needed somebody to come in and play the uh, security guard that accosts the CEO as he walks mm-hmm. through the building. Mm-hmm. And uh, while I, I was happy to do the role, I didn't want to come up on my days off and do it. Mm-hmm. So uh, Larry Finter and I traded uh, the nights that I was working. I played the security guard. And on nights Larry was working, he played the security guard. Right. And, of course, Patty Granville was very gracious in allowing us to do that. And, uh, you know, where else but the theater can you get away with doing something I like that? I know. I know. All right. So your first... First encounter was with um, Simon unpacking all of your brand new life.